Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Good morning, Canton Church. I hope that you are all doing well today. I have something that I must admit to you. Um, Some of you that like me now may not like me after I say this. Some of you that respect me now may not respect me after I say this. Others of you that may not like me right now might like me after I say this, or that if you don't respect me now, you might start respecting me. But I have to say this. I have to get it off my chest. You must know this about me before five or six weeks from now begins. Are you ready? There's like four people that are ready. I, Trevor Heineman. I'm an Alabama football fan. I am. There's some people excited about that. There's some people that boo me over that. That's fine. If you don't want to embrace a winner, that's your prerogative. Like, that's fine. I'll pray for you. But I am. I'm an Alabama football fan. And if you're anything kind of like me, when you hear someone say they're an Alabama fan, your immediate thought probably went to bandwagon, right? There's a couple of you, if you're honest, like, that's what you thought. Like, oh, he's an Alabama fan because they're really good and they win every year, and they're always in the conversation for the national championship hunt. But I have to tell you something so that you can enjoy my presence a little more when it comes to Alabama football fan. I was an Alabama football fan prior to Nick Saban showing up. I was. I was an Alabama football fan when Dennis Franchoni was there, and they weren't that good. I was an Alabama fan when Mike Price spent four miserable months totally messing up Alabama's football future by getting them put on probation. He never even coached a football game. He was there for four months and left. I was there when Mike Shula was the head football coach for four terrible, terrible years where they were not allowed to go to bowl games. They had scholarships taken away. It was miserable football to watch. There was one season that Mike Shula said, hey, because we're not allowed to go to a bowl game, because we're on probation, let's take the football team and play a game at the University of Hawaii so that we can have that bowl game experience for the team because it's not their fault that they're on probation. And so they went out to Hawaii to play this bowl game against Hawaii and lost. No one loses in football to the University of Hawaii. So yes, I am enjoying the glory days of Alabama football right now. And it's a lot of fun, and September's coming, and we open the season against Louisville, and it's going to be a fun season to watch. I had someone this morning talking smack to me out in the lobby about Alabama this coming year. But I enjoy Alabama football. But rest easy. I'm not an Alabama fan just for the past eight years. I'm not a bandwagon because i got to be honest. I understand and I will admit to you that some of the Alabama fans are the worst fans out there. And most of those fans are fair-weathered bandwagon fans who aren't really true Alabama fans, but they're just a fan because they're really good, because they're not really faithful to any team. And the moment that Georgia really does become better than Alabama, all of those fans that have been Alabama fans are going to become Georgia fans, right? We know that that's what's going to happen. But today... We're going to continue our series entitled Fruitology, talking about the idea of faithfulness, talking about the idea of what it means to be faithful. We've been in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, all summer long, 
And you've probably memorized it by now if you've been here every week. And it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. We've already covered love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and today we are talking about faithfulness. Pastor Jeremy, our lead pastor here at Cain Church, will be back with us next week talking about gentleness, and then he will conclude on July 29th this amazing series that we've been in all summer talking about self-control, which I can't wait to hear his take on that. But today we're talking about faithfulness. And I did a quick Google search on what faithfulness means. And Google, the answer to any question that we might have, answered by saying that faithfulness defined is loyal, constant, steadfast. And I really liked this definition that said true to the facts or the original. True to the original. You know, as I prepared for today's message, it's come to my attention that very few people are faithful to just about anything. Now, I did some studying and some research, and I, I found this. I ran across an article that said this. In 2013, the Golden State Warriors franchise on Facebook had 400,000 likes, bringing them in at the 18th most popular franchise in the NBA. Over the next four years, average NBA teams saw their popularity grow by 156%, while the Warriors saw theirs grow at a clip of 2,500% to a whopping 10.4 million Facebook followers, bringing them from the 18th most popular team to the 4th most popular team. And this isn't because that many people started moving to the Bay Area. This isn't because Golden State Warrior fans didn't start getting Facebook accounts until 2013 or later. This is because a guy by the name of Steph Curry showed up, and everybody who wasn't a LeBron fan said, I am now the biggest Golden State Warrior fan because my loyalty is not set to anything, right? Come on, like we understand this idea that people kind of jump from one team to another. If you don't believe me, how many people that were Cleveland Cavalier fans became Miami Heat fans to then become Cleveland Cavalier fans to now everybody is an L.A. Laker fan because LeBron Nation has moved yet again. Faithfulness. In the sports world, most people aren't very faithful and true to one team for their entire Life, or they're not faithful and true to a team that they should be faithful and true to. If you don't believe me, I still can't figure out, other than anybody that's from there, how anybody is a New York Yankee fan, right? We're a fan because they're good. We're a fan of the Patriots because the Patriots win Super Bowls, right? This idea of being faithful in sports, it's kind of gone out the window. You know, I'm a Braves fan true and true. And I'll be honest, it was easy being a kid of the 90s, being a Braves fan, because they were awesome every year. But as of late, they haven't been that great. I don't know if you've kept up. This year, we're above 500, knock on wood. We're trying to blow that right now before the all-star break. But we haven't been that good the last several seasons, but that doesn't mean that I've turned into a Houston Astros fan as of last year. That doesn't mean that I'm a Dodgers fan now. doesn't mean that I've jumped ship and I'm a Bryce Harper junkie. No, I'm still a Braves fan. But today, I want to talk in more depth than just sports about the idea of faithfulness. And when we really look at 
faithfulness and we think of this idea of being faithful, most of us jump to relationships and more, most of us probably jump to being faithful within a marriage. And I would go as far to say today that our culture of being faithful to anything doesn't carry as much weight as it probably should and that it probably used to. So for the next couple of moments, I want to look at the idea of faithfulness within the, within the realm of in a marriage relationship. And I found a statistic that backs my theory on people aren't as faithful as they used to be or that they should be. I found the following stat that read this. It was a study done. It said 1,000 respondents were asked how often, if ever, would you say that the following activities would be considered cheating on a spouse or a partner? These statistics show those who answered always to an individual question. Now, if we look back at our definition of being faithful, which was loyal, constant, and steadfast, true to the original, what these stats are saying is that this is the number of people that actually believe that doing these things would be contradictory to being faithful. Example of doing this is in these things in your relationship means that you are not faithful. So let's begin. I've got five questions that these people were asked. First question, being emotionally involved with someone besides your partner. 55% of people, the thousand people that answered this, said that that is always considered being unfaithful to your spouse, which means that 45, or I'm sorry, faithful to your spouse, which means that 45% don't think that that's being unfaithful. Going out to dinner with someone that you are attracted to. 37% of people said that that's always being unfaithful to your spouse, which means 63% of people don't think that that's always being unfaithful. The third one, watching pornography. Only 19% of people said that that's always being unfaithful to your spouse, which means 81% of people are justifying that as not being unfaithful. Number four, actively maintaining an online dating profile while in a relationship. 63% of people said that this is always being unfaithful, 37% didn't think that it always was. Number five, having regular relations with someone other than your partner. 76% of people said that that is always being unfaithful. 24% of people said that that's not always being unfaithful. And here's what we can do sometimes, church. We can sit in our comfortable seats in a church building and look at things like that. And the thought that can run through our mind is our world is so sad. There are so many hurt and broken people And we say things like this, whether we mean to mean it this way or not, we can say things like this, I'm hurt for the people out there. I'll be praying for the people outside of the walls of a church, right? But look at this. The same questions and the same parameters were asked to people that classified themselves as evangelical Protestants, which would be the American Christian. And this is how they answered those same five questions. Being emotionally involved with someone besides your partner, 67% of the evangelical Protestants said that that's always cheating, which means 33% don't think that it is. Going out to dinner with someone that you were attracted to, 53% of people means think that that is always being unfaithful, which means 47% don't think it's being unfaithful. Watching pornography, 31% of the evangelical Protestants thought that that was always cheating. 69% didn't. Number four, actively maintaining an online dating profile while in a relationship. 68% of the Christians that responded to this said, always cheating. 32% didn't. 
and having regular relations with someone other than your partner, 82% responded saying always being unfaithful, and 18% didn't. Church, this is unacceptable. It's sad. It's something that when we look at things like this, we've allowed ourselves as a culture, country, whatever you want to say the parameters are, We've allowed ourselves to redefine what it means to even be faithful, to be loyal, true to the original. If we look back in scriptures, God sent a man named Moses in Exodus chapter 5 up a mountain called Mount Sinai. When Moses got to the top of that mountain, God gave him what we still to this day refer to as the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus chapter 20 verse 14, God had Moses write down on these stone tablets, you must not commit adultery. Flash forward several years, and by several I mean hundreds and hundreds of years, a guy by the name of Jesus shows up on the face of this earth. And in a conversation with some people that Jesus has in Matthew chapter 5, he takes what was said and put on those tablets a step further. And he says, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Moses on top of the mountain, God says, Thou shalt not commit adultery, Ten Commandment. Jesus shows up two thousand ish years later, thousands years, hundreds years later, and says, I'll take it a step further. It's not even the act. It's if you think about a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. How have in the world have we gotten from that point to two thousand years after Jesus left this earth? to a place where we're just kind of here and there making up what our definition of faithfulness even is. I can be faithful and still do these things. I can still be faithful to my spouse, and I can, I can look at this, or I can be a part of this. We've redefined faithfulness. God gave us this idea of being faithful within our marriage. We stood in front of a group of friends or family, if you're married in the room, and you said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, forever. What you're saying in those moments is I promise no matter what that I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to faithfully serve you. I'm going to faithfully love you. I'm going to faithfully take care of you. I'm going to faithfully stand beside you. But here's what's happened. We've allowed, again, whatever you want to call it, the world, culture, Hollywood, society, whatever, we've allowed that to, to manipulate what faithfulness even is. So for the remainder of our time, I want us to figure out together what being faithful really looks like. If we look back to Scripture and we look at the true meaning of faithfulness that God has given us, what does it truly mean to be faithful? And this doesn't just apply to married couples. This applies to every relationship that you have. Faithfulness is found in every relationship. Have, how faithful are you to your boss? How faithful are you to your parents, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your children, to your work, to your church, to your neighbors. Faithfulness is or is not found in every relationship that you have. You know, several months ago, we did a series called Axes and Arrows, and it was an unbelievable series. If you missed that series, I encourage you, 
catch up on the podcast. It was so cool just looking at some of the amazing stories that God had done in the Old Testament. We spent most of that series in First or Second Kings. And in 2 Kings, there's, there's really two characters that we're going to look at, and we looked at in that story. You have Elijah and you have Elisha. Elisha was the assistant, the personal assistant of Elijah while Elijah was here on earth. And Elijah, God did unbelievable things through Elijah, miracle after miracle, and God took him to unbelievable places. And God did things through his life and had him speak into situations and into places in amazing ways. First Kings is full of unbelievable God stories of Elijah. But there comes a moment in 2 Kings chapter 2 that some of you may have heard about in Scripture where God calls Elijah back up to heaven. He sends a chariot of fire to literally get this man that is still living and take him up to heaven with this chariot of fire. It's unbelievable. And so this happens to Elijah, and Elisha is standing there and watches this take place. And I want to read to you this narrative that takes place leading up to and in this moment. And after I read this, it's going to make sense as to why I'm reading. And I'm going to warn you now, it's several verses. The media guys made fun of me earlier for how many verses I'm reading because it's several slides long. But it's 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. You can follow along in your Bible or you can follow along on the screen. But this is what it says. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you? Of course I know, Elisha said. Be quiet about it. But Elijah said to Elisha, or, But then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of the prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them walked across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Again, I told you that was a lot of scripture. But what we have here is we have Elijah, a prophet of God, who again, God did amazing things through. And you have Elisha, his personal assistant. And God kept calling Elijah to go to these different places. And Elijah would say, hey, Elisha, stay here. I got to go over there. And he said, no, I'm going with you. As long as you live, I'm going to be right there. And he'd show up and some people would come up to him and be like, hey, you know God's taking him from me. And he'd be like, be quiet. I don't want to think about it. Like, I don't want to think about that. Like, shh, don't say that. 
And Elijah would show up to Elisha, hey, God's calling me, telling me to go over there, stay here. No, I'm going with you. I'm going to, I'm going to stay right beside your side. I'm, I'm with you. Show up. Somebody say, hey, you know, God's taking me. Be quiet. Don't talk about that. I don't want to think about that. And they go, they cross the river. He parts the water. So cool. And they're going and they're walking along and then boom, chariots of fire show up, take Elijah up and Elisha's standing there like he's gone. There's three things that I think we can learn from this story about faithfulness. Three truths of faithfulness that we can apply to our lives and being more faithful people from this story. The first is that faithfulness can be hard. I don't ever remember reading in scripture that God said, go and and love your spouse and serve your spouse and be faithful to your spouse and it's going to be easy. I don't ever remember him saying, go and and love your children and be a faithful parent to your kids and it's going to be easy. I don't ever remember reading, go and do your job and do what God's called you to do and be faithful in your career and faithful where God's placed you and it's going to be easy. I don't ever remember reading that. Faithfulness can be hard. If we look at the life of Elisha here, he went around and he went from place to place following Elijah. And I'm going here, Elijah. And he'd show up. Elijah say, I got to go over there. Okay, let's walk. Let's do this. I'm with you. Say, I got to go over here. Okay, let's do it. It's not easy. Faithfulness isn't always going to be the easiest decision to make, but it's always the right decision to make. Faithfulness can be hard, but faithfulness is always worth doing. The second thing that we can learn from this story, the truth of faithfulness, is sometimes you don't see the point of being faithful. i got to imagine I'm not an Old Testament prophet. I'm not anywhere near where Elisha was with God. But I have to imagine when he's standing there after Elijah is gone, he had to have thought something like, why in the world have I been doing this if he's just going to leave me? If God's just taking him from me, why have I been following him around and trying to get as close to this man as I can and to serve him faithfully? What's been the point? He's gone now. We don't always see the point of our faithfulness. But God still calls us to be faithful. And this story, and if you look back into 1 Kings and you look at the moments in Elijah's life where Elisha was there and just being faithful, there had to have been moments along the journey where Elisha was probably like, well, I want to go and I want God to do things through me. Why do I have to stay here and just serve him? But I have to keep following in his footsteps. Why can't I go? And God, why can't you use me like you're using Elijah? We don't always see the point of our faithfulness, yet God still calls us to be faithful. So this story ends with Elijah ascending to heaven with the chariots, like I said a minute ago. And Elisha's there, and he, he rips his clothes, and he's distressed, and he's upset. His mentor, this person he spent so much of his life following and striving to be like is gone. And in the very next chapter, so this was 2 Kings chapter 2. In the very next chapter in 2 Kings chapter 3, we see right at the very beginning of this chapter, you have the king of Israel and you have the king of Judah. At that time in history, the country, the, the region, the nation of Israel was split into two nations. You had Israel and you had Judah. 
And so the nation was split. And so the king of Israel went to the king of Judah. And he said, hey, I want to go and I want to attack the Moabite people. Let's go attack Moab. And he said, okay, I'm with you. Well, let's go and let's not just do it ourselves. Let's go get the king of Edom to go and attack with us. We have to go through Edom to get there. Let's get him on board. And all three of us together will go and we will attack this group of people. And so 2 Kings chapter 2, this happens. 2 Kings chapter 3, like Israel is ready for war. And this is a conversation that takes place. All three of these kings are together. They've come together. They've rallied the troops. They're fired up. They're ready to go to battle. And this is the conversation that takes place. What should we do? The king of Israel cried out. The Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of, the king of Moab defeat us. But King Jehoshaphat of Judah answered, Is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. One of King Joram's, who was the king of Israel at the time, one of King Joram's officers replied, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Jehoshaphat said, Yes, the Lord speaks through him. So the king of Israel, King Jehoshaphat of Judah, and the king of Edom went to consult with Elisha. Now, don't miss this. These three kings, three of the most powerful men in the world at that time, are having a conversation. They're standing there one day, and they say, we need a prophet of God to come and to speak to us and to tell us what God would have us to do. And they're looking around, and they're thinking, we don't have any. I don't see any prophets. And a guy who's sitting in the back, he's just a servant. He's minding his own business. He steps up and he says, hey, y'all remember Elijah? He's the guy that's like rumored to have like ascended to heaven in a chariot of fire. Like he's MIA. Like we've been looking for him. We don't know where he's at. Y'all remember Elijah? Yeah, yeah, we know Elijah. We wish he was here. Like God speaks through him. Well, Elijah had this servant. And this servant was always so faithful to serve Elijah and he'd always be right there, and he'd do whatever he asked him to do, and he'd pray with him. And he's always following him, and he was always right there with him, doing whatever he might need done. I can go get him. What's his name? Elisha. Go get Elisha. God will speak through him. And here's what we can miss so many times, church. The only reason they went to get Elisha the only reason that they chose for God to speak through Elisha, Elisha, imagine sitting there, you're still distraught that the guy that you spent so much of your life following is no longer with you. You're sitting off to the side, you may be sulking a little bit. This servant walks up, hey, you're Elisha, right? Yeah, I'm Elisha. Hey, the kings want you. Me? The kings want me? Why? Because they know you used, to, you used to be with Elijah. And here's what we can miss so many times, church. He was chosen to go and to do something unbelievable for God solely because of how faithful he had served in the last season. He hadn't done anything. God hadn't spoke through him yet. God hadn't done anything unbelievable in his life. He hadn't ever been used by the kings before. But they said, we know a guy who's faithful who served Elisha or Elijah well. His name's Elisha. Go get him. He's faithful to serve. The third thing that we can learn 
from this story on faithfulness and how you and I can be faithful comes in the form of a question. What if your future blessings were dependent on your current faithfulness? The things in your life that you have been begging God for. God, I need you to do this in my relationship. God, I need you to do this miracle in my marriage. What if, the, what if the blessings that you're looking for are solely dependent upon how faithful you choose to be right now? God, I need you to do a miracle in my finances. Okay. What if the miracle in your finances are dependent upon how faithful you are with what you have right now? God, I need a miracle. Me and my children, we don't get, God, but me and my son, we don't get along right now. God, I need you to do a miracle. What if the future blessings in that relationship are dependent upon how faithful you are to just love them where they're at? God, I, I've got these dreams. God, I want to do this with my career. God, I want to I start that business. God, I want, I want that position at work. Okay? What if instead of saying, God, just I want that, I want that, I need that job, I want to do this. What if you said, God, I'm going to be as faithful as possible every single day at work to do what you've blessed me with the opportunity to do. Because what if your future blessings were dependent upon how faithful you choose to be now? Faithfulness is something that we choose at times in different situations. We choose to water it down. We can, we can sometimes mold faithfulness into what we want it to be to justify our actions. I'm still faithful and I'm molding what faithfulness means. But what if we stop doing that and we just say, God, I'm going to just be faithful. I'm going to be as faithful as I can be at work, at home, in my marriage, as a parent, as a child to my boss. I'm going to be faithful at church. I'm going to be faithful in my finances. I'm going to be faithful in my friendships. I'm going to stop stabbing my friend in the back by telling them to other people what they're telling me. I'm just going to be faithful in everything, God. What if your future blessings were dependent on your current faithfulness? With every head bowed and every eye closed, Maybe some of you in the room today could say, yeah, like, I need to be more faithful. That's, that's, that's me. Like, I, I got to be a more faithful person. But maybe for you, faithfulness begins with you saying, you know what, before I can be faithful to anyone else, before I can be faithful at home, before I can be faithful at work, before I can be faithful in my friendships, my finances, or anything, today, right now, in this service, I need to say, you know what, I need to be faithful to God. And today, maybe you say, Today's the day that I say, God, I need you to be the Lord and Savior of my life, and I need to have a relationship with you. And so maybe today you say, yeah, today's that day for me. If you just today is the day where you say, I want to be faithful to God, and I want to have a relationship with Jesus, if you just lift your hand, and you can put it right back down. Second group of people, maybe you're in the room, and whether it's finances or marriage or friendships or relationships, at home, at work, at church, whatever it might be, you just say, yeah. Like, there's some areas of my life that I may be bending the definition of faithfulness. 
And today I want to say that I want to truly and authentically be faithful in everything that I do. If that's you today, just lift your hand. You can put it right back down. Lots of hands. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that before you ever asked us to be faithful, you yourself were faithful first. God, Scripture tells us that you will never leave us and you'll never forsake us. And God, you have faithfully stood by our side. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. And God, I thank you that you have faithfully loved us. And so God, I pray for each and every one of us in this room that we would take the faithfulness that you have extended to us, God, and we would extend that to others. God, for every husband in the room, let every husband have eyes for only his wife. Let every husband love his wife as a husband, as Christ loves the church. God, let every husband pursue a relationship with his wife daily. God, let us be as faithful as we can be. God, for every wife, help every wife in the room to love her husband and to serve her husband and to be there with her husband as faithfully as she can be. God, for every parent, help them to faithfully love their children. For every employee, help them faithfully serve the direction that their boss is leading them in their organization. God, help us to change the definition of what our world says is acceptable in faithfulness. Help us to be faithful in everything that we do. God, we love you, and we thank you for being faithful to us. In your name I pray. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 